welcome you and welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. We're always glad to have you as well. Now, how many of you have noticed it's a little cooler outside this morning? It is just a little cooler. Some people say it's vest weather. So I wanted to be in my vest. Really, I'm celebrating Thanksgiving early because I wanted to celebrate with you because that's the kind of guy I am, you know, because next Sunday I'm going to be preaching out at the beach at Sharky's at the service there. So if you want to see me out there coming at 830, I'll be glad to see you. And then you can slip off and come back here and go to church. I go to several services on Sunday. I don't know why you couldn't. So anyway, and you get to hear two different preachers that way, right? I'm glad that you're here. You know, I have a friend who says this presentation doesn't just happen. It takes time. So I've got my, my presentation. I've got my Thanksgiving attire on today to celebrate with you. And I hope you have a great Thanksgiving because I won't be able to tell you that next week unless you're at the beach service. Okay. Now, recently we live in a house in, in breakfast point and we had uh, my na- next door neighbor told me, he said, you, where you have a sprinkler out there on the corner of your driveway and the sidewalk and the street, you now have a geyser. That thing's busted and it's just shooting water straight up. And so we called somebody over to fix it. And the guy I came and he said, he said, hey, listen, I, where is it? And I showed it to him and we went through the zones and I showed him what was going on. He said, okay, I can fix it. He said, uh, here's what I need to do. He said, my truck that I keep my tools in is in the shop. So we had to rent this van and we're driving it. So I'm going to have to run down to Home Depot and buy a shovel <laughs> to come back and work on your sprinkler system. And I said, oh, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I said, we, we have a shovel. My wife keeps it in the garage. She's the one who uses it. Laura likes to plant things. She's got all kinds of plants outside. She's got a little garden out back that she works on. And so we had this. So I brought him the shovel, <clears throat> and he started. And I watched him just a minute, and he dug all the way around. And, he, and he, then he left a hole right there where the, the sprinkler itself was, and he took a little donut of ground out and laid it there on top of the grass. And then he started working on the sprinkler head. So I went inside, and I was doing some things, and he, he came and knocked on the door when he got through, and he said, I've got good news. We fixed the sprinkler head. However, <clears throat> the bad news is that I broke your shovel. He said, uh, he said it, it just fell apart. Um, and so he said, I'm going to run down to Home Depot and buy you another shovel. <clears throat> I said, nay, nay, don't do that. My wife might make me use it. Please don't. <laughs> You don't know us anything. This shovel is really, really old. This shovel, the, the spade part of the shovel fell off all the time. Then the old dry rotted handle broke in half. So I gave him a shovel and he gave me three different individual pieces back. And you know what I did with those? I threw them in the trash can as God intended. Yes, and I felt good about it all day long. One less thing in inventory at our house, right? Because when you're a preacher or if you're in the military or whatever, sometimes you move around. You may move around in the same town, stay at the church. And so we've done that. And every time we do that, we have a grand throwing away. We don't throw enough stuff away, but we throw stuff away. And so I love that because we don't have it anymore, okay? Why, why do we keep stuff that we don't need? Tell me, please. How many of you have stuff? You might need, that's right. I might need a broken shovel. 
Somebody might try to break in. I would just fling the shovel head at them. Is that what you're thinking? Because I'm so good with that, right? Just like a Frisbee. Well, here's the deal. We, we, we keep stuff, but we don't really need. I mean, there's things we want to get rid of, so we're going to pare down. Now, here's what happened. This past week, you can't schedule this kind of thing. On Monday, they called us since so we rent a house. And on Monday, they called and they said, the guy who owns the house wants to sell the house. You've got a lease and you've got a while, but, but he wants to sell the house. He wants to give you plenty of, of heads up. So on Monday, we found out in the news we had to move, which don't you just love? Isn't that a blessing, that chore that you get to do all that? And then you think, why do we have all this stuff when we're doing it? And then on Friday, my wife found us a place to live because she was on it. She was looking. And, and the landlord actually is a member of the church. He's in the military, lives in Utah. And he said, look, if you find a place early, I'll let you out of the lease because I, that just means I can sell the house sooner. And actually, a member of the church is, is in real estate, and she's selling the house. So it's just one big happy family. And, and our little part of that is we get to move, Okay. So, because that's just the kind of people we are. So, my wife is looking online, and she says, I found it. And so, we found this place, and it just went online the night before she found it. And what that means is, friends and neighbors, that between now and Christmas, we got to move, okay? So, if I come dragging in here on Sunday looking like I'm asleep, like you do when I'm preaching... <laughs> Just, just feel at home and know that, you know, we all feel the pain because we got to make it happen. we got to move a small portion of the things we have to this smaller place that we have, and then we got to move the rest of it to our house in Birmingham where eventually we'll retire someday, maybe, because my 401K is now 101K, and so... <laughs> I had enough to retire, but now I'm going to have to keep working to get that straightened out, okay? But I digress. Here's the point. We have stuff around the house, and, and what happens is that if, we, if we're not going to use it, we need to just lose it, right? So look at the person next to you and say, if you don't use it, you lose it. Go ahead and tell them that right now. <laughs> I can see... I can see I may, I may have to do some marital counseling over this issue. I can just tell by the way you're acting. Okay, now let me ask you. Have any of you ever bought exercise equipment? And it's in your house, and the only thing you use it for is to put stuff on it. There's a coat hanger, a coat thrown over it, whatever. You know, when, when you can't find a place to put something, you just hang it up on that because you're not going to be using it anytime soon. And so you bought it, and, and now you don't use it, right? And so what you do is you advertise it. Now, when I was growing up, we just had new things and we had used things. And most of the stuff we got was used things. that was hand-me-down stuff, right? But every now and then we had some new things. Well, what you do when you advertise, now you don't say, I have, a I have used exercise equipment. Did you know this? There's a new term now. You say, gently used. 
gently used, and then that just, uh, everything changes for the buyer then. I don't know why, but that's the magic word. You say gently used, and they go, well, we better take advantage of this. We're going to get a good deal on this. And so people want to buy it, and they come and look at it, and they go, you aren't kidding. This is really gently used. Aside from the things you have hanging on it, it looks like you've never <laughs> even used the equipment. And you say, that's because I never did. And so you paid, you know, top dollar for it, and now you're going to sell it for a song, and somebody goes home happy because now they've got a thing to hang their stuff on, right? <laughs> that's the way it works, right? And, and so now you get rid of that. Well, what happens is you've sold pristine exercise equipment, and why did you buy it in the first place? Because you believe in fitness. You believe in exercise. You really do. But let me tell you something. I'll, I'll, let me give you, a, this is a word of truth. Just believing in something doesn't mean that you will do anything about it. Amen? That's the truth. If you've bought exercise equipment, I believe in fitness. Here it is. I never use it. You know that's truth, right? Amen? Okay. And so what makes a difference with exercise equipment is the actual doing. You actually use it. Now, if you join a fitness club, how many of you belong to a fitness club? How many of you can't remember that you joined a fitness club? <laughs> However, you haven't been there in so long. Other than making the monthly payment, you do not see the fitness club. Unless you drive by and say, I really need to get back in there sometime soon, and then you don't get there. But if you're paying for it, you want to use it. But what do you really need? What do you need to make that happen? Because you do it, but maybe you don't do it enough. Well, it's always good to have a partner to exercise with. You know, years ago, I, Joe Lay, yes, I used to run with a buddy of mine. I'm not talking about just to the mailbox, okay? I'm talking about really run in the morning. One week we would run at his place down the road. One week we would run in my neighborhood. And so we would run three times a week early in the morning. We would meet. We would just keep up with it on the calendar. We didn't call each other. We just showed up. It was time to go, okay? And so we would run. And so because I knew that Jeff was going to be running, he's either waiting on me to come or he was coming to me, I had to get up and get ready and be ready when he got there because we were on a schedule. I mean, we had to get ready. Then we had to go run. Then we had to go to work. So we had to take care of that, right? And, and what days did we enjoy the most? When we could hear the sound of heavy rain coming down, that meant we just rolled over and went back to sleep because we didn't even have to call each other. That just meant we've been paroled. We don't have to run today. But we did that. We both did that. We lost weight. We got in shape. We did that. I, I don't run anymore. I have uh, a bad hip, but I'm going to take care of that. But anyway, that's what we did. Now, the accountability side of it. The accountability of having somebody else with you to help you to work out is a real blessing, isn't it? And so just believing in fitness doesn't work, but you've actually got to do it. Well, if you're a Christian, sometimes we're called believers, aren't we? We believe in Jesus. We believe in the Christian faith. But just like exercising, you have to do it in the Christian faith we have to do the faith, too. We have to practice it, don't we? We have to, to do something with it. In other words, we worship together. We're in small group. We're in growth group. We pray together. We, we uh, encourage one another. We uh, have a daily devotional time together. And so it's not simply just believing in Jesus, but it's, it's being involved. Now, here's the thing. 
Jesus says to be at our best as Christians, we can't live the Christian life in isolation because we are the body of Christ. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected, then I'm going to heaven. And he says, and you are the body of Christ, Christ, Christian, Christ-like. So if we are the body of Christ, it takes all of us together to be the body of Christ. And that really helps us, doesn't it? And that's a blessing to us. Now, when I was in college, I had some buddies that I went to high school, college, seminary, and went into the ministry with. When I was at college, I went to Middle Tennessee State University, and it was a big school. And so what was great about it was every Tuesday night, we had what we used to call sharing group. And at sharing group, we would come together. And we would talk about what was going on in our lives, and we would read the Bible and study it and pray, and we would encourage one another, and we would grow together, we would sing together, and it was just a real blessing, and we would do life together. Now, while I was at the university, I really, I really didn't get tempted by a lot of the things around me because I had this group of guys that were my accountability guys that I hung out with, and we all just did life together. And there were people in fraternities and sororities, people that that were involved in sports. You know, it was a big school, a lot of different things going on, a lot of things happening there. But, you know, we were involved with this Christian organization on campus, and we used to actually go out and do things on the campus to just try to be an example to people who may be far from God of what the Christian life is really all about. One night, we all painted our faces and went out like clowns, and we walked into the library. We didn't speak. We just walked in, and we kind of pantomimed things for people and students. And, you know, they kind of smiled, and they would get us off to the side, and, and they said, you're with this organization, aren't you? And we said, yeah. And they said, you know how we knew? Because y'all are the only ones who do anything that's really cool on campus. And we love what you do. That and the fact that you could get spaghetti on Tuesday nights for dinner for a dollar. A dollar. So we were very popular on campus. Everybody, every Tuesday night, came for spaghetti, and it was a great place. And it was just very convenient, and it was a neat place to be, and it was a good place to hang out with Christian friends. Well, about three to five years after the resurrection, here's what happens. Um, Jesus, you know, Paul has been trying to, to put the church out of business, the Apostle Paul. And so what happens is that uh, he comes along and, and he gets saved. And now he's a Christian. And so what he begins to do is he start, He was the first church planter. And he's planting churches all around the Mediterranean basin. And people are, are coming to know about Jesus. And he's, he's emphasizing the same thing I'm talking about. He says, now, following Jesus is a relational kind of thing. It, it's not a solo kind of thing. You don't do this in isolation. You do it together. And so he says, it's a one another thing. Last week we talked about one another. He says, we got to forgive one another and accept one another and care for one another and encourage one another and submit to one another and restore one another and carry one another's burdens and bear with one another and pray for one another. And so he says, the only way we can do that is in community. And Paul would say, as a Jesus follower, you can't do that alone. I mean, it's very difficult to do that. What we need to move us from believing to doing is the accountability and the encouragement of other Christian people surrounding us, lifting us up, helping us. 
And here's what happens. Early, early on, way back in the day, there were a lot of self-righteous people because in their minds, I just have to have a vertical relationship with God. It's just God and me. And if I take care of that, everything's cool. Forget about the rest of all these people, okay? That, I don't have anything. I'm cool with God. It doesn't matter how I treat everybody else. I, I just am, have a relationship with God. And, you know, that really was not the case. It was a vertical orientation. And Jesus comes along, and he says, no, it's not that way at all. That's not what the New Testament says. He said, in fact, people who are like that are self-centered. They have a bad attitude, and they're legalistic because they're always judging other people because they're just living life in isolation. So what happens is their needs aren't met. And when our needs aren't met, then we're not too open to meet the needs of other people. But in the body of Christ, we can meet each other's needs in that way. So in the New Testament, he didn't say stay away from people. Jesus said, I want you to do life with people in community. I want you to connect with people in such a way that you get to know them and you grow closer together. And so I want to look real quickly at the New Testament book of Hebrews. We don't know who the author is. It's really unknown, but a lot of people think it's Paul, but we really don't know. But what you'll see about those first century Christians is interesting because Jesus had already explained to them what they were supposed to do, and Paul was emphasizing it. And he said, it's not just a vertical-oriented relationship with God, but it's also a horizontally-oriented uh, relationship with people. It takes both for us to be all that God wants us to be. So here's what he says in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is the, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. And then it says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Three quick things that I want to mention about that. The first is that he shows us a new way. He shows us a new way. Jesus is writing to the Jews, and he's talking about, and speaking to the Jewish people. And what he's saying is that, there, you know, in their day, there was the Holy of Holies, and that was where God dwelt. And that was the only person who could go in there was the high priest, and nobody else could go into where God dwelt. You were removed from God, so you had this intermediary, the high priest. You had to go through him. And that was the way that life worked for you at the time. And Jesus says, I have come to replace the entire temple system. You don't need the temple. You don't need the Holy of Holies. You don't need the priest anymore because I'm your priest. And I'm the one who introduces you to the Father. And you can come to know him through me. And so through that, 
you know, everything's going to change. It's just a new way of doing things. And he says, you don't have to sacrifice animals anymore to atone for your sins. Now I'm going to sacrifice my life and that's going to pay for your sins. And once I do it, it's been done once and for all. You don't have to do that anymore. So no longer do you have to make a sacrifice to God, but now you accept Jesus as the final sacrifice for sin. The second thing is he showed us a new day. It says there, let us hold unswervingly, which means unwaveringly to the hope we profess to, uh, for he who promised us is faithful. He's saying that we now, it's a new day. We have access to God. We don't need a high priest. We don't need the temple. It's a new day. So let's be faithful to the things God called us to do. Let us consider how we may spur one another, each other. on. That means to encourage. How do we encourage one another? And he says, your relationship with believers as the body of Christ will help you to follow me. I want you to be in relationship with each other. I want you to encourage one another. Now, if you have an elliptical at home and it's being used for storage, you've got it in a room that you shut off with all the other junk that you never use, and you've just got stuff hanging all over it, you believe in fitness, but you're not actually putting it to practice. And what he's saying is the same thing is true of our faith. You know, we can believe in exercise, but we've got to do it. We can believe in practicing the faith, but we've got to do it. And then the third thing was he showed us a new faith. The author of Hebrews says, don't stop meeting together. Spur one another. Encourage one another together. Do the one another things that will be a blessing to others. In other words, we were divinely designed to do community and faithfulness to God together. At the end of Jesus's ministry, he's with the disciples in the upper room, and he says, I'm getting ready to leave. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be killed, then I'm going to be resurrected. I'm coming back, and then I'm going to leave and go to heaven, but I'll leave the Holy Spirit for you. And they're so confused. They're going, huh? What are you talking about? It's like a child who doesn't understand death. And they say, well, this person died, but they're alive again, okay? And it doesn't make any sense. And so Philip finally speaks up and he says, can you just, can you just show us the Father? Can you just show us God? If you can do that, then we'll be fine because you're going to leave, but he's going to be here, right? And he says, don't you realize <laughs> if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. I am his son. If you want to know what God is like, just look at me. And I'm the example who came to earth so you'll know how to follow. And then he, he, he was resurrected from the dead. And then after he's dead, and he, then he commissions the church. And, and then he leaves and he goes to heaven. And, but then the apostle Paul takes up and he begins to talk. And he talks about the body of Christ again. And he says, we in the church, we're the body of Christ. And there's strength in bunches. When you were a kid, did you ever have somebody hold a pencil in front of you and say, I, I double dog dare you to karate chop that pencil in half? Anybody ever had that experience? in here? Apparently, I went to school with violent children, and so you, you never did anything like that. But we used to do that. We, we, didn't have, we didn't have a lot of social media back then, so we just went around, hi-ya, breaking <laughs> pencils, right? Well, what if you took a bunch of pencils, and you put them all together in a great big cluster, and you tried to break those, what would happen? 
You'd break your hand. That's what you would do because you couldn't break. Well, see, there's strength in bunches. So together, we are the church that God created us to be. That's when we become the strongest, when we are committed to one another. So the way that we treat each other shows God how we really feel about him. Did you catch that? Because he said, you're all my kids. And what do you want your kids and your grandkids to do? Get along. You want them to love each other and get along even after you're dead and gone? You want them to still love each other and get along? That's what God wants. He wants all of his children to get along with each other. And he says, I'll know how much you love me by the way you treat each other. Because that's what I've asked you to do. And says, because you're my body, then you can't live out your life isolated from me. Because we are the body of Christ, we can't live our lives isolated from one another. And so we can't abandon community. If you're not in community, here's what happens. You become self-centered, self-focused, and short-sighted. And, and, you know, sometimes people think they're better than other people. What if I said to you, I want you to get in a small group, and you looked around, you saw the people in a small group, and you're saying, well, I'm not getting in that group because I'm better than those folks, okay? I don't want to be in their group. Now, see, you think, why would you say that about us? Because I know you, okay? And I know how people just laugh about that because it's the truth. But here's the thing I've learned. Sometimes you get into a group, and I was in a group with a group of preachers, and there was one guy I didn't really know. And he got in the group. I didn't really have an opinion one way or the other. I didn't know him. He got in the group, and I found out he was a great guy. And the more I got to know about him, the more I liked him. And the more I was around him, I knew that he knew a lot of stuff. He wasn't a know-it-all, and he wasn't all the time telling everybody how it should be. But if you ever wanted to know something about church history, he just had studied that a lot, and he could share with you about it. He never brought it up unless somebody asked him to, but then he would just share it. It was very fascinating and interesting. And the more I got around this guy, the more I liked him. And then one day his wife got sick and went in the hospital and it looked like she was going to be fine. And then all of a sudden, boom, she just died. I mean, she just died. And the guy was going to retire, and he would already set up everything to retire. But now his wife just died. Well, the whole reason he was going to retire was to spend time with her and travel. And if he had known that was going to happen, he would have kept working for a few more years because he was still young enough and healthy enough to do that. But he'd already put in his paperwork, and so he had to retire. And so he retired. But then he went back to work just part-time, working for the church, and he had some church that he served. And, and then years passed, and then he met another woman. And her husband had died, and his wife had died, and they started dating. And they got together, and they got married. And so now he kind of is retired a little bit. He works kind of part-time, and, and then he, he's got a new wife, and they can kind of spend their time together, getting to know each other, maybe traveling some together, doing whatever, because you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't plan that. It just happened that way. Well, my point is, I really liked that guy. And, and I, I, I didn't really know what to expect. But as I got to know him, you know, I appreciated him more and more. The people who think they're better than other people just haven't heard the other person's story. Because when you listen to other people's stories, you find out stuff, and you don't know stuff about them, and, you, and it's fascinating, and you learn a lot of stuff. And so you're just going, wow, I never knew that. That's amazing. You should write a book. I mean, that really is something. And, and so you can be blessed by that. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, now, don't stop meeting together. 
keep on encouraging one another. Keep coming together. You're divinely designed to do the one another's with each other. And then in Hebrews, he concludes the passage by saying this, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so you need to be in relationship and you need to encourage. What does it mean to encourage? To encourage simply means, are you ready? To instill courage in someone. Isn't that great? To instill courage in someone. You know, sometimes people say, I never would have done that if it hadn't been for you. If you hadn't encouraged me, if you hadn't told me I could do it, if you hadn't believed in me, if you hadn't helped me, if you hadn't shown an example of how I might do it, I never would have done it. But when I saw you do it, you know, I could do it. And, and you instilled courage in me. So I want to ask you as we wrap this up, are you, do you have a group? Do you have a group? Do you have a life group? Do you have a small group? Do you, do you have people? How many of you have people? Yeah, you got people that you do life with in community. Don't give up meeting together. And last week I told you this. It doesn't really happen the way it's really designed to happen in rows, right? Because what are we? We're in rows in here, right? And it's good. It's good to worship. It's good to be here in church. It's a blessing. It helps us. But that really that community takes place in circles because it's in the circle that you learn about the other people and they learn about you and you connect with each other and you're able to share with one another and you're encouraged by them. So you can believe in exercising, but it won't do you any good. You have to do it. And you can believe in the faith, but it really won't do you very good, much good unless you do the faith unless you put it into practice, unless you get in that small group and do life the way God intended us to do life. And, and you know, I'm going to just encourage you. I'm going to instill courage in you today. I'm going to encourage you, find a group. I told you last week, if you want to, you can just get your friends together and say, okay, this is my group. And then you can call us at the office and our staff will help you and we'll find you some material and you can just facilitate that and, and you can do small group together. You're already doing life together, but now you can do it with a focus and a purpose. And now you can study God's word and you can have that thing that I started off having in college, a sharing group that was such a blessing to me and that I've had since then. It's been a blessing as well. And so we take advantage of that and we may feel vulnerable. And it may be different and new, but we go ahead and we step out on faith. Because listen, if you don't exercise, but you have the equipment and believe in it, a year later, what do you have to show for it? If you just believe in the faith, but you don't do anything with it, a year later, what do you have to show for it? And so he says, I want to encourage you. I want to instill courage in you to make something happen. The same that's true with exercising is true with small groups as well. Did you ever hear, you get out of it what you put into it, right? And so the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. In fact, if you ever facilitate a small group, you'll learn more than anybody else in the group because you'll do the study to make sure that you can facilitate the group, right? And that's where we learn the most is when we take some responsibility because the more you put into it, 
the more you get out of it. So I hope and encourage you to, to have the courage to do that, to really put it into practice. Because you can believe in a lot of things, but it's what you do with them that counts. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for all you do for us. Help us learn to really put our faith in action, to really apply what we know, to do what you have taught us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's children said,